When it comes to hard work, there's one important rule. Pick the right tool for the right job. That's why Chevy offers a family of Silverado pickup trucks designed just for the job. Go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and put a Silverado in your toolbox. Black Hawks Live. Whether you're the casual hockey observer or the epitome of a rabid Hawks fan, Black Hawks Live answers all your questions. You know, they obviously turned up the heat on us, and uh, we just kind of clammed up. Uh, I didn't think we were moving our feet. Joe Brand delivers the news, notes, and everyday gossip from the Madhouse on Madison. Here's Joe Brand. Well, if the Black Hawks' New Year's resolution was stay healthy, they didn't get off to a great start. Another guy goes down this time. It's Anthony Beauvillier. Kind of got pinned along the boards against Philip Forsberg. He's on IR now with a left wrist injury. And just another name added that the Blackhawks don't have right now. I'm Joe Brand. This is Blackhawks Live. Thanks to Jack Heinrich for sitting in last week and a great job this week as well. As We've got Emily Kaplan of ESPN joining us after the 7.30 news. A lot to talk about tonight. The Hawks are on once again, another bit of a skid. They're on the road right now, taking on the Nashville Predators last night. The New York Rangers tomorrow night. The Rangers, one of the top teams in the NHL, so it will be another uphill battle for this Hawks team. But there is a silver lining to pull out, and I think that's Arvid Sutterbloom's performance after coughing, coughing up one bad goal in the first period in last night's game. We'll get into that in a little bit. I do just kind of want to break down what the Hawks are dealing with right now and some of the other things that are working in their favor in terms of young, talented uh, pieces that they have either in their system or at World Juniors or in Rockford, but all under the umbrella of the Blackhawks organization because that is kind of what we have to look at right now. It's it's such a difficult time to really dissect what this team is doing when they have to deal with so many different obstacles, whether it's good opponents or travel difficulties or now what we're dealing with with a player going down every game since the Christmas holiday that's basically what it's been Joey Anderson Taylor Radish Tyler Johnson now Anthony Beauvillier not to mention Seth Jones and Andreas Athanasiou have been out for some time not to mention Corey Perry and Taylor Hall who haven't been with the team and won't be for the rest of the year until the Blackhawks get Taylor Hall back next season. I mean, there's been a lot going on with this team, and so many deficiencies of them typically being able to rely on so many NHL veterans that they just don't have the luxury of doing right now. It's going to be interesting to see what they do tomorrow against the New York Rangers. Just earlier today, they made things official with defenseman Jacob Megna, who uh, you might remember him. He spent some time with the Anaheim Ducks, with the San Jose Sharks. Actually, on my Twitter account, Charlie Romeliotis tweeted out a great highlight of Patrick Kane doing a move on Jacob Megna when he was with the San Jose Sharks and almost breaking his ankles on the ice on the far side. And uh, Patrick Kane watching the replay of that play and just getting a kick out of it from the Blackhawks bench. But he's been around the league a little bit. He has not played in an NHL game this year. He was 
in the Seattle Kraken organization. Seattle placed him on waivers. The Blackhawks claimed him today. He does have some Illinois ties, however. He's from Northbrook. He went to Glenbrook North High School. His brother, Jason, is a forward, so he also plays. And it's funny because I think the first tweet out there was Elliot Friedman's The Blackhawks sign uh, Megna. But even though he said from Seattle, I think a lot of people just assumed it was going to be Jason Megna because the Hawks are missing so many forwards right now. They're missing a couple of defensemen, too, but uh, they're definitely a little bit more depleted in the forward position. So it might be interesting to see if Luke Richardson moves somebody from defense to the forward position in tomorrow night's game against New York. Maybe he'll go... With 11 forwards, 7 defensemen, we have seen that this year. I I don't think a lot of people would be complaining if they saw Connor Bedard double-shifting a little bit, so that could be an option. But back on Jacob Megna, again, claimed off waivers from the Seattle Kraken earlier today. Uh, Spent time at the University of Nebraska-Omaha, where he played with his brother Jason. Uh, His brother Jason currently with the uh, Providence Bruins, the AHL affiliate of the Boston Club. And if you didn't know this, their dad, Jay, played in the NFL. He was a defensive back for both Miami and New Orleans. And Jason and Jacob both spell their name J-A-Y. So I, I'm assuming that's derived from their father's name. Kind of a cool touch. I mean, it it's not so much the exact name with the junior, but you got your own little personal touch from your dad's name on there. But again, it it's going to be interesting to see how the Blackhawks make up their roster tomorrow night against New York. We've seen a handful of changes over the past couple of days, a whole totally different lineup, it seemed like, last night against Nashville. And you can't really blame Luke Richardson just trying to get something going after dealing with so many rough losses more recently, the 8-1 loss to the Dallas Stars. He was really trying to shake things up. The one thing that was a pleasant surprise, though, was Arvid Sutterbloom. He ended up finishing with 33 saves. He coughed up a rough goal in the first period, but I think it's the bounce back. It's the resiliency that is probably the most promising thing about it. I do want to get into that a little bit more. Uh, but really quick, talking about some of the guys further down in the in the Hawks system, um, it, it's funny, I had a call last night on the post-game show about who the Hawks might call up with Anthony Beauvillier going down. And I, I think it was our guy Devin from Payless Hills wondering if we would see a guy like David Gust, who he called a veteran, which, yeah, David Gust I think is in his 30s, maybe 30 years old. Um, but he's actually leading the Rockford Ice Hogs right now in goals, assists, and points. And he did sign a two-way contract with the Hawks last season. So that is a possibility. I don't know if we'll see that now, now that the Hawks added uh, this defenseman and Jacob Megna. But that is still a possibility. What Devin, who called in, was kind of getting at, too, was the possibility of Colton Dock coming up. And I think we're all pretty much eager to see that. Uh, Colton Dock is currently in concussion protocol, though, so that's clearly an issue. But Dock, with 16 points in 23 games with the Rockford Ice Hogs, I, I do think that seeing him up at the NHL level this year wouldn't be totally out of line. It, it kind of reminds me of when Lucas Reichel first came up to the NHL. Um, at that point, Reichel was the top prospect in the Hawks organization, and everyone was wondering when he was going to make his NHL debut. But the Hawks were very strategic about it and very careful about it. And then, you know, as the next year went on, they were even a little bit more careful and only brought him up when they needed to. They 
uh, didn't just rush him up just to get him at the NHL level. Now we're seeing a difference this year where Lucas Reichel has had a couple of solid games as of late. I really liked the previous game against the Dallas. I, I shouldn't say really liked. I just I, I think that was his second straight game where it was definitely a significant step forward. He's just doing more of the little things right. He's being a little bit more aggressive after the puck. He's being a little more aggressive with the puck. He's keeping his head up. He set up a Cole Gutman goal. He's just doing a lot of the little things right. He's not quite there yet. He's not exactly where we want to see him uh, be. And I know the Hawks still have a very high ceiling for probably their second most important prospect or, or piece or player other than Connor Bedard right now, but they are being patient with them, and, and right now it seems like it might be paying off a little bit. A few other notes, Paul Ludwinski with Kingston of the OHL, he's on a four-game point streak, nine total points with three goals and six assists. Uh, Nolan Allen recently scored his first AHL goal with the Rockford Ice Hogs. And man, yeah, let's talk about World Juniors. Team USA still in it. Team Canada not. Sorry to hear it. Uh, Frank Nazar right now second in World Juniors with eight assists. He's tied for fourth with eight total points. Team USA will be facing Finland tomorrow in the semifinals for a chance at the gold uh, coming up the following day. We're going to talk about Arvid Sutterbloom. I, I think it was an important step forward to him, and as quickly as so many fans have been to see him get demoted, to see him get punished for how poorly he's been on the ice, I, I think yesterday was a good perspective to see why the Hawks didn't jump to that conclusion, why they didn't jump to that decision, and uh, how this could possibly definitely help him moving forward in the Blackhawks organization. We'll get to that. Again, we've got Emily Kaplan coming up after the 7.30 news. It's all here on Blackhawks Live, 720 WGN. Our favorite intro here on Blackhawks Live. If only John Hansen were here to poke fun at us being warped into a different time zone. Now that That's right. It's magic by the cars. I'm Joe Brand. This is Blackhawks Live. Our producer is Jack Heinrich. The Hawks coming off a 3-0 loss to the Nashville Predators last night. UC Saros, his 22nd career shutout, his second against the Hawks and his second this year. But it was a much different game than the 8-1 loss to the Dallas Stars, which is right up there with kind of the roughest losses of the year for this Hawks team. I I was impressed with the team's bounce-back effort and what they were able to deal with despite missing so many players. It was, you know, last night, we're watching the post-game show over on the NBC Sports Chicago side. And obviously we're not listening. We're doing the show. And Luke Richardson is talking with the media. And you can still see a smirk on his face while he's while he's talking. And, and Luke Richardson's not a guy that likes to lose at all. Uh, I, I actually really enjoyed the piece of Mark Lazarus at The Athletic that when he sat down with Luke Richardson recently to talk about year two of this rebuild, where he's at, where he feels this team is at, and just how you balance all the losing that's been going on. And uh, he, he's continued to keep a, a very steady focus on it, he, a pretty level-headed approach. But it's going to wear on you, and it's going to wear on the players, and that's exactly what he's there to do is kind of maintain everything from going too bad, from from collapsing uh, too much. And again, last year, there was a great hold of that. He, he seemed to have that totally in control. 
this year there's still a lot more inconsistencies. The Hawks are dealing with a lot more uh, casualties to the roster, but I, I don't think they want to use that as an excuse. The main story is it was a good bounce-back performance for the Hawks. They were in it until... They were down 2 nothing late in the third period, which, by the way, Nashville scored that second goal on a 5-on-3. Both goals that Arvid Sutterbloom coughed up last night were power play goals. First one, just a man advantage. Second one, 5-on-3. You can't really discredit him on the 5-on-3. And even though it was a power play goal in the first period, it was, it was a bit of a soft goal. It was a little bit screened. I think it was Tenorti and Murphy in front of him. But I think if you ask Arvid Soderblom, it's definitely one he would like to have back. And once that happened, Twitter blows up. Honestly, I think, okay, here we go again. But Arvid Soderblom then stopped the next 24 shots that Nashville had on goal. He did a great job of keeping the Hawks in this game. The offense had a couple of spurts. I I like their second-period performance better than the ones in the past, and that's a good sign to see because... The second period has been such a bugaboo for the Hawks lately. But it, it, it was good to see Sutterbloom make the simple saves and then a, a couple of really stellar ones. There was one he was down in the seat of his pants. He kicked up his left foot just to uh, stop a shot coming in from the slot. He, he, and I said this on the postgame show, he continues to have a very stable thought process. He seems to be a very level-headed guy. And a young guy, too, at that. But just a guy that doesn't get too high and doesn't get too low. I know he hasn't had much to get too high about. But with all the lows he's had to deal with, he's pretty much maintained the same demeanor. And he basically continued that last night talking with the media, too. He just he didn't want to get too much on himself. He, he understood that this was just one step forward. This was just one game. And I think it was great to see because... Everybody, and myself included, would have understood if the Hawks sent him down to Rockford after the rough game against St. Louis. Hawks had a 5-2 lead going into the third period. They cough up five goals. A good chunk of them are Arvid Sutterbloom's fault. Not to mention, he didn't have great numbers heading into that game. And that almost seemed like, okay, this is not the final straw. This, this is the last motivating factor, though, to understand the thought process of sending Arvid Sutterbloom down. However, there was the Christmas break. I wonder if that played a role. Maybe it did. Maybe it didn't. But three days off, kind of clear your mind. And then Luke Richardson even said that the the Hawks were going to go with Peter Mrazek a little bit more. They were going to let Arvid Sutterbloom work with Jimmy Waite. Peter Mrazek started in the game against Winnipeg. Hawks win in overtime. Mrazek starts in the first game against Dallas to start the road trip. Hawks lose in overtime. And then Mrazek starts in the second straight game against Dallas. New Year's Eve. Really rough game. Gets pulled in the third period. He didn't have a great game, but the Hawks didn't really do him any favors either. Sutterbloom comes in with the Hawks down 6-1. Not a great chance to succeed, but not a lot of pressure to put on the guy, too. And if you're going to get thrown back into the fire, maybe it's a little bit more favorable that way. With this game out of reach, and you're just, hey, hey kid, just stop the bleeding here. Just do what you can. You know, we're not going to knock on you if you have a rough showing. And and he, he coughed up two goals. Once again, not a good spot, a situation to really dissect his performance in, I think, 15 minutes to finish out the game. 
But who knows? Maybe that helped him shake off some cobwebs and just shake off any other butterflies that he might have had going into his next start. Again, coughed up a soft goal, but he got past it. So the moral of me bringing this up is wanting to send down Arvid Sutterbloom after that kind of horrid game against St. Louis could have a pretty big effect on the guy. And even if you're giving up on him, the Hawks organization isn't. And and that doesn't mean that, no, we're sticking with him, he's our guy. They just want to see a bigger sample size, I think, at the very least. So moving him down to Rockford, what if, and this is a big hypothetical, but what if that totally just implodes his confidence? What if that ruins him? Not the na- Not the game against St. Louis. What if the act of moving him down to Rockford. What if that ruins him? And I get it. It's professional sports. Results are are the main factor of of sink or swim here. I understand that. I'm not saying to baby the guy. I, I just think they're taking a more cognizant approach of it and understanding where they are in the standings. That's a factor, too. Understanding who's there on the other side. We've talked about Jackson Stauber's numbers. We've talked about how Drew Camesso's in his first year in professional hockey in the AHL. He's putting up good numbers. But also, is that a situation where you want to see him just kind of rushed up just because Sutterbloom's not doing as well as you'd like to see him do? I think it was just a reserved approach by the Hawks. And and I get it. It's one game against Nashville. Who knows? I, I, I'd imagine that Mrazek will start on Thursday. Sutterbloom will start on Friday against the New Jersey Devils, so they break up that back-to-back. Who knows what Sutterbloom does in that game on Friday. But for right now, it seemed like the Hawks made the right move. And I I was very pleased to see all the positive responses on Twitter and uh, people texting in and calling in. I I think you guys are very quick to judge these players and and get on them when they're doing poorly, but you're also... You, you, you call it both ways, so I, I do appreciate that, and I think that was uh, a very heads-up move by the Blackhawks fans after yesterday's game. It, it was a weird one. Uh, the Hawks relying on so many young guys. They called up Brett Sini. He made his season debut. Hawks were looking for a little bit of an edge from a guy like him. He did commit a penalty in the first period that led to Nashville's first goal. But as rough as it is for the Hawks right now, they are in a rough spot. This is not ideal for any team and for any coach. And it's not sugarcoating it. It's just kind of the way it is. And if we are going to see performances like we saw last night against the Nashville Predators, I think it will remind us more of what this team was like last season, staying in it towards the end, making it a, a close competition no matter who they were playing. And again, it didn't get out of hand or out of reach, I should say, until later in the third period when Nashville capitalized on a two-man advantage and then later on scored the empty netter. Now, tomorrow's going to be tough. (laughs) The New York Rangers hosting the Hawks. Rangers with the best record in the NHL, but... uh, Hey, it's hockey. Anything can happen. Emily Kaplan does fantastic work for ESPN. You often see her in between the benches. You'll see her reporting periodically uh, throughout the entire league in multiple places. It sounds like she's covering Pittsburgh, Boston tomorrow. She's going to join us on Blackhawks Live after David Jennings News. Really excited to talk to her about Connor Bedard, the Patrick Kane situation, and just the NHL as a whole. But first, got to go to David Jennings in the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. Blackhawks Live rolls on here on 720 WGN. Hawks next game tomorrow night. They're at Madison Square Garden taking on the New York Rangers. I'm Joe Brand. 
You might recognize Emily Kaplan in between the benches. You might recognize her periodically on ESPN throughout the year, covering the league, covering the Hawks, covering Connor Bedard as well. Well, she joins us on Blackhawks Live. Emily, thanks so much for taking time out of your night. Do you need uh, a few seconds to catch your breath after your airport run? No, I don't, Joe. It's great to talk to you, but uh, unfortunately, or unfortunately for me, that's a regular occurrence. Uh, it's how I like to arrive to the airport, it's just like five minutes before boarding begins. So luckily, me and O'Hare have like a pretty good routine down by now. That's good. That's good to hear. I'm sure you got all the routes down. Um, so you're you're doing Pittsburgh-Boston next, right? What pops off uh, to you for that matchup? Yep, exactly. So uh, tomorrow in Boston... Honestly, it's the Penguins, and I just feel like Kyle Dubas came in and he was given the mandate by ownership to try to make the playoffs um, with this roster, and obviously he kind of doubled down on the veteran core of bringing in Eric Carlson, and as of today, they're out of playoff position, so I think there's just going to be a level of desperation for Pittsburgh right now because you don't want to waste a spectacular season, and that's what they're getting out of Sidney Crosby. Every time I watch him, I'm just in awe of the things that he's still able to do at his age, find new ways to contribute. Um, and then Boston is just always an electric team. I just I love the way they play. They've been in a little bit of a slump, but uh, I think it's going to be a pretty good one. Yeah, yeah, no, that and you're absolutely right about Crosby and just hockey players in general. It's it's just kind of interesting how they're the ones to be able to withstand all these long careers where it's they're the most grueling schedule, they're the most grueling workouts, but they're the ones that are hanging around till forty. It's it's kind of something to marvel at. No, it is, and it's such a brutal and punishing sport, but you look at Sidney Crosby, he's 36 years old, and the only thing he's obsessed with is the present moment. Like, I talk to people in his inner circle, his good friends, his agency, he'll never talk about the future. It's always, what am I doing today to get better? And he's constantly tweaking things. He's testing out a new stick in practice that has a bigger curve that's going to help him with shots, potentially. Um, You know, he's always figuring out ways to enhance his skating. The face-offs have improved so much over his career. Now he's the absolute best in the league. So um, I think it's just that maniacal drive that he has. And so many other guys in the league have it too. Um, but he's probably the best example of it. That's cool. Wow. If Sidney Crosby can live in the moment, I think we all can then. Um, <laughs> I want to go back to one of your tweets uh, from last week when Bedard had the game-winning goal against Winnipeg. And you mentioned how some veteran NHL coaches and players were quietly complaining about how much more coverage Connor Bedard was getting. It's I know because you get the national landscape, but us here in Chicago, to me that's so interesting because the whole city's been doing nothing but oozing about the kids since the Hawks landed the first overall pick. So it's kind of interesting to hear the opposite uh, point of view coming from around the league. And I know you said that's kind of been silenced now because of Bedard's showing, but I don't. I, I'm not asking you to say exactly what people have said, but I don't know. Were you surprised by that reaction? Not really. And like, Joe, I feel like the league. If you think of the context of hockey players, first, um, it's so deferential. These star players, like to get Sidney Crosby to talk about himself, would be impossible, right? <laughs> it's always we or you. They don't even use the pronoun I. It's a really weird tick that they have. Connor Bedard is no different. And I felt like the league put on this massive blitz, and the media partners like ESPN, I'm just as guilty, put on this massive blitz when Connor Bedard entered the league. That was something that was against the ethos and really unnatural for hockey players. Now, this is something we see all the time in the NBA. It's a star-driven league. We see it all the time in the NFL. 
but it's rare for hockey. Um, and, you know, my first couple of weeks in the league, there's coaches and players that I had, they were complaining to me. They're like, come on, give it a break already. I do think part of it was them trying to protect Connor, saying, like, this is too much pressure for the kid. Just, like, let him get his feet settled. I also just think that it felt unnatural for the hockey landscape. Um, and they just, like, there's so many other players in this league. There's so many other teams. Look at the Blackhawks. They're rebuilding. Like, they're not even relevant right now. Like, give it a break. Um, then Connor Bedard completely lived up to it. And, you know, when I talk about all of this, you know, how it's not really in the hockey player's way, it's definitely not in Connor's way. He doesn't want to talk about himself either. Um, but he's been so polite, so professional in saying yes to all these obligations because I think he gets it on a bigger picture level. And because of what he's been able to do on the ice, uh, because of just the way he's carried himself, he's definitely quieted all of those people who are rolling their eyes at him. And I think he's earned a lot of fans around the league now, too. No, for sure. Back-to-back NHL Rookie of the Month, uh, and, and rightly so. Our mutual friend Charlie Romeliotis wrote a piece earlier this year about how he's even kind of changed his approach when going into the locker room, uh, not asking him something just to ask him something, because he's going to be available a lot. He's People are going to want to hear from him a lot. I, I know you're a professional as well. Like I, I know you don't get starstruck, but d- did that thought ever pop into your mind about when you're interviewing an 18-year-old who's gaining all this attention before he even really laced up in the NHL? Yeah, and the Yes and no. You know, I I think it's been this tricky balance because he is a kid, and I do want to give him some grace because he needs to find his way as a professional. At the same time, um, all hockey offer talks about is grow the game, grow the game. It's our mantra, and I do believe it's an obligation of the media to help that purpose. And I've seen the way that the NBA has grown. Um, It didn't become the league that it is today. I think people in Chicago would appreciate this until Michael Jordan became who he was. And Michael Jordan was a brand, and now you see players and they drive the audience, not the teams drive the audience. And I think hockey, um, in a lot of ways, is behind because of that. It's one of the reasons we love the sport, but we can do a better job of showcasing these personalities. So from my perspective, I, I just felt like, you know, we need to introduce this kid to a larger audience. I have this opportunity in the platform that I have at ESPN to do that. Um, but I have been conscientious. You know, he was so graceful, especially opening night when we went all in at ESPN. I mean, I'm pretty sure he did two interviews with me alone that day, also Sportsnet, also Pat McAfee um, a, a ton. And, and when I had a couple more of his games over the next few weeks, I said, let's not interview him between periods unless he scores, unless he scores a point. Like, let's save our asks. Um, I also knew that he wasn't always great in those situations because he's such a fierce competitor of himself. Like, the only thing he wants to focus on is what's on the ice. No, no, that makes a lot of sense, too, with the, the Jordan perspective, because I, I, believe me, once once the Hawks landed that first overall pick, people were already bringing up Michael Jordan's name, but but you're right, it's it's just a, a star-driven league that the team and the league can, can really benefit from. Uh, you talk about, when you're doing your job, and I know it, it's sports, so anything can happen, how much has your job evolved over the years, though? Do you, do you find yourself um, not asking different questions, but approaching questions or approaching players in a different manner at all, just based on your experience over the past couple of years? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, my philosophy, especially in the in-game reporting role, has always been just to be open, lean, and neutral. Like, I'm just a vehicle to get the players' opinions and thoughts 
to the viewer. Um, and I have the privilege of being there, but it's not really about me. So I don't need to show how much I know or, or point out, you know, something that I saw and ask them if they agree with me or something like that. Um, and I've always stuck to that model. I think just as I've gotten more comfort in the role, as I've grown with more relationships in the league, as more guys know me, I mean, I'm pretty visible. So even if I haven't had a conversation with them yet, typically, like, they know who I am coming in. Just trying to make those conversations a little more relaxed, a little more um, authentic of, of what's going on. Um, and, and it's a challenge, you know, like, Live TV is, is still something that's a little bit new to me. I always grew up as a writer. That's all I ever wanted to do. Um, I, I loved writing stories that were 4,000 words. I, I began my career at Sports Illustrated with a ton of nuance, so still getting the hang of it. But um, it's, it's always evolving, I think, you know, especially when we're here in January and everyone's talking about their New Year's resolution, just a growth mindset and, and then picking up and learning something new every day. Hang on to that thought, because I do want to ask you more about your journey. We're talking with Emily Kaplan of ESPN here on Blackhawks Live. Uh, I, I do want to talk about Patrick Kane a little bit and the whole journey that you followed along with. Anything surprise you about it? I, not so much him going to Detroit, because I, I know a lot of a lot of things make sense for him being a Red Wing, as much as Blackhawks fans kind of hate to see it. But anything about that entire journey that you learned about Patrick Kane that surprised you most? No, I think just behind the scenes of what his mindset was through this entire time. Um, you know, last year was really a uncomfortable year for him. He, his entire career, imagined he was going to be in Chicago. He was going to retire as a franchise legend. The city absolutely adored him. And then it was hard for him to hear that the team wanted to go in a different direction. And it was best for them to part ways. And, you know, he went to New York. Um, he had put off his hip surgery for so long. He went there. It didn't go the way he wanted it to go, right? because he's still in pain. He still feels really limited. Um, the pain that he had described to me that he was experiencing was absolutely outrageous. Like you have no idea how he was even able to have, um, and the mobility was so limited. It's, it's shocking that he had any production at all. Um, and then he just had this really humbling, quiet time where he put in the work behind the scenes, over a hundred rehab sessions all by himself, sequestered um, in Toronto, just him, his partner, his young son, um, just, grinding away and through the process he showed a ton of humility you know from teams that i talked to that were on zoom calls with him that were you know trying to convince them to come to their teams he was saying i don't expect to be on the top line i don't expect to be on the top power play unit i know i need to earn my spot and it just sounds so crazy again with a player who's accomplished every single thing there is to accomplish in your hockey career he obviously could have just walked away and everyone would have celebrated him for what he's done um for him to have that level of humility and then also that drive because he loves the game and feels he still can be an elite player and he still views himself as a top player in this league when healthy, um, I thought that was really interesting. I know I, I just said that it it made a lot of sense when he signed with Detroit, but did it surprise you that that ended up being his final destination? No, and you know, like the reasons for it make it like so much sense. I think everyone assumes okay, he wants to chase a cup, and in Detroit, they're a bubble team this year. They're still trying to get out of this rebuild, and the path isn't exactly clear in front of them. But from a hockey perspective, it made a ton of sense. Obviously, reuniting with DeBrinket. Um, I mean, he's showtime. Like he, he just needs to be in a big hockey market, and I don't think he ever really considered a warm weather climate. Like he told me, like I just associate hockey with like wearing a beanie and a winter coat, going to the rink, um, and then he needs that massive hockey crowd. So the fact that he's gone to another original six team makes a ton of sense. 
That's really cool. We're talking with Emily Kaplan of ESPN here on Blackhawks Live 720 WGN. You mentioned your your roots, your heart was first in print, and now here you are on TV almost every other day. Uh, did you ever envision this kind of lifestyle in your uh, professional career? Not really. Uh, I've kind of just been taking it off as it goes. Um, again, like, I went to college, uh, I went to Penn State, I picked it because they had a sports journalism major. All I did there was write for the student paper. I got you know, a newspaper internship afterwards. I got my dream job at 24 being a staff writer at Sports Illustrated. Um, And then hockey was my love. And I was covering the NFL. ESPN gave me a call and said, um, they initially asked me about a football job. And then they said, you know, we don't have a football job we think you would take, but you mentioned hockey several times in your interview. And at the time, fortunately, they'd just gone through massive layoffs. They axed their entire hockey department. It was a time we didn't have the right. So there was a perception and there's definitely some truth to that perception that ESPN didn't quite care about hockey. Um, but I saw it as an opportunity to own a beat. And once we got the rights, I just kind of raised my hand and volunteered. And the thing I like most about what I do now, um, besides, you know, traveling North America and really the world and meeting so many interesting people, is just being as close to the games as possible and close to the action. And I get points of views and perspective that nobody else gets. Um, and again, I view that as a privilege and it's my duty uh, as a reporter to share what I see and what I've learned with an audience. And it's pretty cool. What's your hockey background? Who'd you grow up watching? Uh, so uh, my dad is uh, the reason I love hockey. We'd watch games together and he was a massive New York Rangers fan. So that's what got me into it. Very cool. Uh, okay. One last thing, Emily, and I, I like to ask people this. I mean, I asked Luke Richardson it. He doesn't really give me a good answer because I don't think he wants to get in any trouble. But any changes you would make to the league, whether it's schedule, whether it's the way they do the All-Star game, whether it's, I don't know, anything, rule changes, what would you like to do if you were the commissioner? So I'm going to keep Mel in All-Star Games. That's an ESPN property. Uh, so <laughs> we are making some big changes this year that I think will excite the players and hopefully excite the fans as well. Um, some celebrity teams, you know, picking teams, players, uh, playground style, dodgeball. It's going to be fun. Um, you know, I Jonathan Taze had that whole proposal about the baseball-style schedules of, of teams coming in uh, – on the road, and then playing two, three games against the same team. And I love that idea. I think, firstly, uh, it makes a ton of sense just on the players' bodies. Um, You know, it's so taxing the travel that they do. I think we'd be getting a better product because they would be more rested. Um, And I think just the intensity of a mini rivalry series uh, would ratchet up and create different storylines. You know, I think one of the big issues with hockey is we have so much excitement over opening night. Um, and then we have these temple events, like we have the Winter Classic, and that's exciting, and the All-Star Game, and we also have, um, you know, the Stadium Series. But really, it, it feels like we lose a lot of the traction until the Stanley Cup playoffs, which is the best playoffs in all of sports. So I think this would give us a little extra juice in the regular season. So Taser had a good idea there. They do that kind of schedule in the AHL, too, so it wouldn't even be that much of a transition for the players coming up. So, yeah, no, I think I'm on board with that as well. Emily, thank you so much for the time. I know you're busy is is all heck, so we really do appreciate it. And uh, I know you're going to be around Chicago a lot as well, so I'll try to make a note to uh, say hello. I would love that. And, Joe, you do fantastic work, so keep it up as well. Thank Have you. A good one. I appreciate that. Emily Kaplan of ESPN, thanks again for joining us here on Blackhawks Live. We've got one more break, and then uh, we've got a new segment with Jack Heinrich. We'll uh, tell you all about it when we come back. Blackhawks Live, 720 WGN. One last stop on Blackhawks Live as we get to the rhythm of the night here in Chicago. 
Again, the Hawks in New York tomorrow night, taking on the Rangers, and then the Devils Friday night to wrap up the road trip. I'm Joe Brand. Our producer is Jack Heinrich. Our fill-in host is Jack Heinrich as well. Popped in last week on the Christmas holiday. Appreciate that, Jack. And uh, you actually got a, a test run of your, your new segment last week, so you're just a, a polished pro now. Yeah, yeah. Felt, felt good. Liked how it turned out. And we'll keep it rolling. All right. Just don't do too good. I, I, I like this spot here. <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best to not do my best. <laughs> uh, okay, so yeah, we're changing things up. We're changing it from Jack's last thoughts to, I don't know, we didn't really give it a title. You're just going to give us a few things that popped up around the league that, that caught your eye, caught your attention? Yeah, kind of thoughts from around the NHL. And this week we're going to start um, with the Winnipeg Jets and the Minnesota Wild. I don't know if you've seen what's going on there, but um, we're going to start with a fight for the first segment. Uh, so they played back-to-back games this weekend on the 30th and the 31st. In the first game in Winnipeg, Kirill Kaprizov, the, the star for Minnesota, was cross-tacked twice in the back, and I guess he had a back injury he was battling by the Jets' Brendan Dillon, and it landed him on IR. So the next night, everybody flies over to Minnesota and let it, let it simmer for a little bit, I guess. And then uh, former Blackhawk Ryan Hartman told the Jets Cole Perfetti uh, that he was going to get back at him, I guess, or this is, this he's literally just Cole like, Perfetti, yeah. Perfetti, yeah. He's like, this is literally just retaliation um, for what happened. He just kind of, Cole just kind of like, oh. It was like a matter of fact. Yeah. Not like warning, but, uh, or, or. It's kind of like, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And he even said something along the lines of, no, no offense, man, but yeah. this is just what it is. Yeah. I mean, there's so many unwritten hockey rules and you know it's not as i don't think it's as controversial as baseball because no everybody obliges by it that's what that's what i was thinking because like in baseball you'll be like the managers will be getting mad if you throw at them but everyone here was just kind of like yeah okay, no, they understand it's hockey yeah yeah so uh so that happens on a face-off ryan hardman uh hits uh perfidi in the face high sticks him he gets some stitches and then they move on, and and but the funny thing is, uh, Profiti was mic'd up for the Jets. I I don't know if you saw this. He was mic'd up, so they caught everything that he said on the mic'd up. I didn't see this. Part yeah, he he caught everything that he said on the mic'd up because you know I like the Hawks have had players mic'd up throughout the year, but they can't use that for NHL discipline. So Hartman's only gotten fined, and he won't. It seems like he's not getting suspended, but he's only getting fined, and they can't use that for discipline. Have they? Have they made it public what was said? Like, did they play it? Or mm-hmm. but they they have it. No, I was reading a story on the Athletic, and they asked for the audio, and the Jets wouldn't give it. They to can't them. give it. Wow, that's <laughs> so. They were like, I think in one of his media sessions, they were, a reporter asked him like, "You were mic'd up," and he's like, "Yeah." He's like, "We got it all." So they're like, "If you're going to trial, like he wouldn't have anything." Like, nope. He's like, "He wouldn't you, have." You anything. can't use it. Yeah. No. Uh, again, I hate to draw a baseball comparison, but remember a few years ago when there was that video that <laughs> leaked from Terry Collins when he was the manager of the New York oh, Mets yeah. arguing with the umpire and our you-know-what is in the jackpot. Mm-hmm. Or, or, oh, no, that's that's what the uh, umpire said. But that came out like, I don't know, four or five years actually yeah. after it actually happened. He's like, you got to let us get a shot because he threw behind a hitter yes. and then they tossed him. Yes, yes. It happened like in the second inning. Mm-hmm. And it might have been Noah Syndergaard. Um, yeah, this is Blackhawks Live. We're talking hockey. But um, <laughs> yeah, same exact reason. They couldn't use that for or against the umpires just because it's it's not it's not universal right? right like they don't always have that 
um, on hand at the ready. So I get it, but I, I, I bet you in a couple of years we'll we'll get that in, get that audio leaked. Yeah, I just, I, yeah, we, I, I definitely will be interesting to hear that. But just the interesting situation that everyone just kind of seemed cool with it because in other sports, like we mentioned, that uh, a lot of hotheads prevail and there's a lot of going back and forth. But uh, we'll stick in with the baseball theme, I guess. The Winter Classic was on Monday uh, where the Mariners play and Seattle Kraken goaltender Joey Decord. I talked about his mask last week at the baseball cards on it. Well, he tallied the first shutout in Winter Classic history. That was surprising to me. And I did, yeah, I didn't know. I know a lot of those games were high scoring, but he tallied the first shutout. It's the second shutout of his career. But pretty impressive against the Vegas Golden Knights. They were able to get that win. Yeah, I, I enjoyed watching the Winter Classic. It's funny because, you know, all my friends want to watch the bowl games. And I'm like, yeah, but can we put the Winter Classic on one TV? And even when that's the case, it's like I want to hear what's going on. I want to hear the whole broadcast. Uh, luckily, I had nothing to do New Year's Eve this year. So I was able to do that in the comfort of my own home. Thought it was, a once again, a great production. Man, it's always great. they're really bringing it to the nines now with uh, see them throwing the fishes around yeah. as the Seattle crack. Yeah. And we're walking in. Um, I, I just think that it, it was. I'm a huge fan. I love Seattle, so I'm trying to put my bias aside. But to have the two expansion teams, to have it in Seattle, it, it, extra points because Vegas just won the cup. That's cool too. Uh, no, big big fan of the whole Winter Classic. I thought everything they did around it was cool. Um, all right, yeah. Was, and then one thing, Gary Bettman, the commissioner, he hinted at best on best international competition on the pregame show before yeah, that on I, TNT. So something to look forward to. That's interesting. I feel like Emily Kaplan was almost kind of hinting at something like yeah, that. Yeah, maybe well. the All-Star game. Uh, that does it for Blackhawks Live. Big thanks to Emily Kaplan. Big thanks to Jack Heinrich. And uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow night when the Hawks visit the New York Rangers.